You're listening to the Start Today podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Mike. And this is episode five. A police officer's perspective on the benefits of jujitsu. We just want to give a, a small disclaimer. There's a couple in our discussion talking about law enforcement. There were a couple situations where some words were said. It's very minute, but they are there. So just a, just a heads up. In case you've never heard a curse word in your whole life, you're going to hear one today. Maybe two at most. Thank you. Hey everyone, welcome, 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 wherever you're listening from on this beautiful winter California day. And uh, today we have a special guest, Angelos, who is a brown belt in jiu-jitsu, a comic book nerd, and brace yourself for this, a law enforcement officer, Leo in the house. How you doing? I'm doing good. Uh, first off, thank you, Eric and Mike, for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be here, and, and I look forward to, uh, to this podcast. So thank I'm you. excited. Thank awesome. You. Yeah, we're excited to have you here. It, Leo, that's a thing. I've never heard that before. I got – so one time I was eating dinner in, in Malibu with a friend of mine, and I don't know if I look like whatever you guys look like. But you do an uh, undercover. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it the black sweatshirt? No, no, no. I was at like a, a legit restaurant on the beach and the, the a guy came up to me and he goes, are you, are you a Leo? No, I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> no, I seriously <laughs> said I was a Pisces. <laughs> I was born in February. <laughs> I'm a Capricorn, man. No. Uh, yeah, but, uh, yeah. What are you talking about? And I was with my friend. And she didn't know what uh, he was talking about either. And Leo, law enforcement officer. Yeah. You don't hear that too much. Um, sometimes you'll hear like, oh, is there a Leo discount or, you know, L- LEO. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to know. I, L- Leo. I'm looking for the Leo discount. What if we told our friend Leo that there's a Leo discount? Then he should ask for it. I mean, and that's today's his name day. I think, it's his birthday. Oh, it's his birthday. Yeah. Is that how he... Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes it's sense. his birthday. Happy birthday, Leo. Yeah. He's going to be so happy. He just got a shout out. He did. You're welcome for making your day. That's right. <laughs> 50% off at In-N-Out, Leo. <laughs> Go try it. So I think we have a, a, a cool topic today. Uh, I, think, I think we're going to hopefully challenge and inspire and... and I, I like challenging people more than inspiring them, I think, but... <laughs> but but we're going to dive into the sort of culturally muddy waters of what goes on in law enforcement and Angelos's experience in jiu-jitsu and how those things lend to one another. Um but what yeah, why why don't we get to know you a little bit? Um so so tell us tell us about yourself. Where where do you come from? Uh what what motivated you to become a police officer. Um, what I don't even know what jujitsu is, other than I, my friend DJ put me in a headlock once. Not comfortable. Yeah, no. That so so fun. so yeah. To just just tell us about yourself. All right, absolutely. Um, so I guess let's see. Let's start from the beginning. Where I'm originally from, uh, born and raised in the beautiful city of Oakland, California. I uh, was born there in uh, 1985. I lived there for about 10 years. And then when I was 10, our family and I, we moved down to Southern California. Uh, my dad at the time worked for the post office, actually still works for the post office, 33 years. Um, nice. And he That's was, nice yeah, he, yeah he, was, he was looking at, nice. you know, getting out of Oakland at the time. 
mid-90s. It was kind of rough. There were some things going on, obviously, up there just right after the riots. And um, Was that something um, you're talking about? The Was it related to O.J. Simpson or to Rodney King? Well, the Rodney King incident, I believe, was, I want to say, 92. Yeah, it was a few years before <laughs> yeah, we were talking so about, but it kind of had a it, it, lingering. It was still in the area. It was still lingering, and uh, I, I'm sure you guys even now – um, no matter what, something could pop off in the United States. It could be in the East Coast, but the first ones to riot will be the city of Oakland. It's unfortunate, but I don't know. I don't know why. It, it just they're the first. And they'll sideshow first. And they'll sideshow. They'll get their cars towed, and then they'll they'll riot. Um, they'll block the freeways. Um, but it's unfortunate. But but yeah. So things were still kind of hot up there, and uh, my my parents really wanted to uh, bring us down to Southern California for a few reasons. The number one were the schools. They had mm-hmm. done their homework. They looked around, and um, we ended up going to Temecula. And at the time, it was a big culture shock. Um, in 94, 95, there were lots really, of Caucasians. Yeah, well, yes. Uh, <laughs> there was, there was, it, was not, it wasn't a city. It's not Oakland. It wasn't yeah, a city. Yeah, I was going to say, back then, mm-hmm. my parents moved to Corona in 85. Is that right? Yeah, eighty-five. Mm-hmm. Same story though. I mean, it's just it county, was, right? It was just yeah. It was it was Orange Groves and right. a couple neighborhoods. Yeah, it was. It. It was Menifee all, just went through that. All I think track they're homes. A city now. That that was another thing too that freaked me out. Where all the, all the houses that looked the same. It actually reminded me of the movie Poltergeist. Remember they move and it's like they're in an yeah. Indian burial ground. So I was like, <laughs> I'm like, where are we? I couldn't I couldn't sleep at night because I was so used to hearing like you know sirens and the city you know sounds and. And at, at night, I would hear, you know, coyotes and crickets, and it was just, it was odd. And then uh, I remember walking into my my fourth grade class, Mrs. Corman. God bless her. She's an amazing woman. I walked in, and I was a few minutes late, and I looked around, and I didn't, it was a culture shock. You know, like I said, I was kind of thrown off. Uh, there, was, there was no black kids in my class. There was no uh, Mexican kids in my class. And... Um, uh, no, not that that's a bad thing. It just kind of threw me off, especially at that early age. I was like, whoa, whoa, hold on. What happened? So so you even observed that? At the, Oh, yeah. Early. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, see, and I, growing up in Southern California, you just sort of, like, it's it's I, it's certainly not as diverse as a city. Mm-hmm. But, like, I grew up, and, and the school I grew up in was definitely, like, a white and Hispanic school. It was it was diverse. for Like, it wasn't all white. Right. Uh, it was pretty diverse. Yeah. yeah. Um, Especially in Oakland. I mean, it's, yeah, it's but such in a Oakland diverse commu- community. Oakland's I mean, a whole other monster. I you spent have all sorts of different cultures, and, and, and it, it's beautiful, you know, and yeah. it's, uh, it is a little melting pot. You know, like you go to certain cities, you know, like, like Los Angeles, New York, those are like the ultimate melting pots of different cultures. And, and Oakland, it, it's up there. And so uh, I was used to that. I grew up with that. So for me, that was normal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I used to live in San Jose. I lived there for three years. Okay. Which is, I mean the, the geography. That's pretty much like the southernmost part of the bay, as far as I could tell. Like Santa Clara, San Jose. If if I was looking at a map, it's yeah, it is. The it's last real part to say you're part of the bay, right? Right. Like yeah, your North Cal area. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Northern Californians love to claim Bay Area, though. Right. Like, oh, you're like four hours north of San Francisco. You're not <laughs> from the Bay Area. Be quiet. Like, you're an hour inland. No, you're not from the Bay Area. You know what I used to get a lot, though, because I'm no, from, we're from down Walnut, here. No, Walnut, though. No, Walnut is not the Bay Area. Sorry. You're just, right, right. You're just from the middle of nowhere in Northern California. Sonoma is not the Bay. So- sorry, homies. There's no water. Sorry, Walnut folks. <laughs> anyway. You guys can't say hella. Sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. And we can't say, oh, it's hella awesome up here. No. No. That's NorCal all, all the way. Just let them say it. Why I'm can't cool people with just have their thing? I'm not going to lie. I love Northern California. So well, when I, I, hella, from, I hella love it up there. I hella loved it too. <laughs> but when I came from down here and, you know, I got, we relocated because of my, um, my stepdad's job. You know, he worked in Silicon Valley. That was the late 80s, early 90s. Should have stayed. Well, they did, but I left. I actually went back to 29 Palms because that's where my brother was at. But anyways, people would be like, oh, do you live near Disneyland? Mm. I was like, (laughs) we're from the same state. You don't know where Disneyland is? Why would you ask that just because I'm not from, like, the Bay if I live near Disneyland, it, it's almost as if they were from another country. It's really strange. One of the things I think about is if, if I would have stayed in Oakland and uh, my family wouldn't have moved down to Southern California, if we wouldn't have relocated, what if things turned out differently? And yeah. that's always a, a question that you know, sometimes I think about. And uh, I think maybe certain things may have been a bit different, but I, I think eventually I would have somehow, some way, uh, still got into law enforcement. I still believe I, yeah. I would have... I believe that's What was uh, that draw? Did or you like, like went, run like to a postal inspector and you're like, man, that guy is B.A.? You know, it's uh, <laughs> funny stories. It's postal inspectors are cool. Funny stories. with uh, So I know we'll probably get into comic books and whatnot. So a uh, big comic book fan growing up as a kid. Yeah. I, I always looked at like, you know, your, your Batmans, Iron Mans, Spider-Mans. The Let's Go uh, fans will appreciate that too. Oh, yeah. For real. Oh, yeah. So, you know, your, your comic book uh, superheroes, per se, and even Punisher. Um, so And even him. And even the Punisher. Even that guy. <laughs> um, but I also looked at, you know, police officers, firefighters, and people that served in the military as real-life heroes. I looked at them as, like, superheroes that lived, you know, in our times. And uh, so there was one moment that I still recall as a kid uh, playing, up, uh, playing in my, on my street you know, the neighborhood kids, we'd gather around, we'd ride our up bikes. North? Up north? Up north. Oh, Oakland, okay. Yeah. And uh, one day, there was a, and you know, my parents, they, they sacrificed a lot, and we lived in a, in a good neighborhood, you know, a decent neighborhood. Uh, by no means were we well off, uh, but we, they did a lot to, uh, to, to provide for my sister and I. And um, so we're outside, we're playing, neighborhood kids, we're all gathered around, we're, we're like, a, like a little clan, right, just running around. And an Oakland PD unit, uh, black and white drives by nice and slow. He's just checking out the neighborhood, you know, and I will never forget. He slows down as a solo officer, um, slows down. His window, windows were rolled down and I was just looking and he looks over and he smiles and he waves. And that gesture stuck with me for the rest of my life. And so I think it's so important now, uh, even when I work patrol now, um, you have to have that interaction, especially with the youth. You know, um, I think that sends a message. I think that you can relate to them. I, I think it, it's just a very powerful experience because they will remember those positive experiences. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's amazing. Like, I know that Eric and I both work in schools at different levels, but it's you can't tell the impact you have on someone. And you always want to have a positive impact, right? But like and you may not ever get yeah, yeah, and to you know if it did it or not. And, and that officer certainly has no idea, like, the impact he made. No, I don't, right? I don't know who it There's is. There's no way he knows yeah. that. But yeah. he had, like, it just, it's amazing to think that, to think that, like, someone can do that to you and you can be that for someone else, too. Absolutely. It was, it was powerful, you know. And uh, so it, 
everyone always remembers their negative encounters, right? Whether you're dealing mm-hmm. with a rude officer some, during a traffic stop uh, on a call, you're never going to forget those things. And then you're going to take that and that's how you're going to generalize basically all of law enforcement, all the other uh, people that are either deputies or cops or people that you deal with in that realm. Um, but that positive experience sometimes I think can can overshadow all of that. Yeah. I I wonder too if people... I mean, like, since we touched on that, I mean, think think that, I mean, people obviously have, they, they feel, um, I don't know what the right word is, they, they feel something about their interactions with law enforcement, and it's easy to focus on negative interactions. But I've, You're never neutral I, about but it, it, right? But it just, I just had this thought, like, it's probably because you're vulnerable, right? Like, if, if you pull me over... Um, like my like uh, I like sort of ostensibly my my autonomy is being called into question. The government right? like, has pulled you over. Yeah, people go- think it's like oh, it's Oakland PD that's doing it. No, a representative of the government has pro- has stopped your movement. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's like this is for everyone. Like, it feels vulnerable. when I'm when I'm on the freeway or if I'm driving and there's like a black and white behind me, like I like tense up. I freak out. I'm like, wait, why am I? You know, I, I put my directional signal on. I, I'm, sp- I'm right. not speeding. You know. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm driving 68 miles an hour, and I used my signal to change lanes. There's no reason I'm getting pulled over. Now those cars have like <laughs> magic voodoo powers or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it is. But it's just interesting how like the, yeah, there's just that feeling that you just feel vulnerable around that, and I think, I mean that that probably is like I don't like whatever that cop is doing i don't want to be part of it so like and then when you are part of it you're like oh that jerk he could have let me go but i mean like it's just you know it's just i think it's just people feel vulnerable well what something that i that i've always wondered about not exactly wondered i kind of have my own thoughts on it but (laughs) let me see what you think about this sure the police are not now this might be changing but just my opinion, mm-hmm. the police are not there to be your friend. And the definition of public servant is not public slave. Mm-hmm. So is it just because you have actual professional experience of this, is it reasonable to assume that a cop should be nice to you? So I never thought that their job was to be your buddy. Right, right. I, I think this is going to come down to the individ- individual. Um, you know, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna necessarily be buddy buddy. It, it all depends the situation. I mean, it, there's a million and one different situations, but first and foremost, there has to be a level of professionalism. You know, and that doesn't necessarily mean to be all buddy buddy and you know tight with them and you know, hey, what's up, bro, and you know, fist bump. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you have to treat them like they're below you. You know, there has to be a fine line. There has to be this level of professionalism there. Um, in any contact, you know, one thing that I think people still sometimes will look at is, uh, you know, we're, I'm, a, I'm a human being, you know, every single person in, in law enforcement, there's a, they're a human just like you. And, um, these people sometimes will have this like, you know, oh, well he's, he's RoboCop, you know, and some, you know, and some officers and deputies are guilty of that as well, where they come off and they're in that cop mode and they don't know. It. And usually it's the younger guys. Uh, it's like they're that on that cop mode 24-7, right? And so it's, you know, the way they walk, they're, they're wearing all their tactical gear and the way they even act off-duty. And, you know, it's like they can't get rid of Marines like out of boot camp are like that too. Yeah, you know, and um, it's it's this image. I don't know if it's an image they're trying to portray or if it's something that, you know, they that's how they identify themselves. 
one of the best things ever is when people they're like wait you're a cop and they they ask me i'm like yeah you know and it kind of throws them off i i i think it's a good thing that they don't know that i don't come off as like you know i don't look or talk or you know i am i'm that like robocop you know cookie cutter figure so yeah it's interesting that that you would think that like police want to be your friend like why, well, like, what are what is yeah? What is the role I mean, of the I person being pulled beca- over? You know, because I think I think uh, I, I think of how I can teach my son about like public servants, like police and firefighters, and you know, he's really excited when he sees something go by with sirens on and lights because you know, he's yeah. two. Um, he also has a trash truck, which is yeah. Awesome. Oh, I mean, oh, t- trash trucks and trains, man. We could I I could talk for hours about this, um, but no, like. You think about that, but then you think about, like, the actual sort of, like, role that a police officer would play in society. It's like, your society has these rules, right? And we've all, by being part of the society, agree to follow them. And, like, this is the government's way of enforcing the rules. So if you step out of line and you break a rule, like, there's someone there to, to you know, either to correct you, basically. And that correction comes in all forms of different ways. You know, you, you get a warning, you get a ticket, you get arrested. It depends on what you did. Yeah. Uh, it depends on what rule you broke and how you broke it. Um, but the way that society interacts with that, like, I, I think it's just, we're kind of like between Gen X and millennials, like we're dealing with a host of people who just disregard authority. So it isn't really even about like, a police officer as a person. It's just, mm-hmm. I reject authority on principle. Well, they do it in the schools too. That's we, how see, they sh- we see it in schools. We see that in, in today's society. And, and the funny thing too, and, and this took a, a while for me to, to get, you know, to, to understand, um, even though people would tell me, but earlier on, like I, I started out in this field when I was 21 and I would still consider myself a kid at that age. Um, I'm now 33, but Early on, when you see these, you know, level of these levels of uh, disrespect towards authority or towards you, it's never against Angelos. It's never against Eric. It's never against Mike. It's the uniform. Uh-huh. It's it's the badge. It's what you represent. Yeah. It's not you as a person. And that's a thing. Sometimes people take things personally. You know, we we're hey, we're human. You know, our our buttons are going to get pushed. Um, but it's never that we are taking it to, oh, they're, they're out to get me. It's, it's against me. Yeah. Because you would never come across them in your non-professional life anyways. Not at all. Not at all. So and it, it just and by default level, isn't Yeah, personal. the only, only interaction there you're going to have is when you do cross paths, it's because you are there as an authoritative figure or whether it's a call or, or something or other. Um, but one th- another thing, too, that you mentioned was, uh, you know, to serve the public. You know, I wholeheartedly agree that, you know, that's what we're there for. We are there to serve the public. Uh, and that's to, number one, keep them safe and also to uh, enforce laws. You know, there's there 1% of people of the population out in the United States that are causing the crimes, that are doing the bad things. Um, it's and that low. It's that low. You Which know, is probably still a ton of people. Still a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's... Yeah. But and it's... Then, a, yeah. And there's actually... and. Uh, there are people in this world, and I, I tell people this all the time, especially at the recruit level, there are genuinely evil people in this world. They have to understand there is good and evil. There are evil people in this world that want to cause harm, cause carnage and mayhem, and just because of the uniform you're wearing, they will want to kill you. Simple as that. 
and so the first thing is is serving the public and i've always kind of viewed it as like a like a modern day samurai you know samurai actually the the definition of samurai is to serve so that's my that for me personally that's my way of viewing it i'm here to serve you know but then again don't get me wrong i mean i've i've had some calls where people call and they're like well hey my neighbor's dog won't shut up can you go over there and tell him to shut the dog up i'm like and you can't do that you know it's like <laughs> right. just just simple things or like you know hey my kids won't get off the playstation 4 can you t scare them and i'm like you're the parent i'm not here to <laughs> well, your kids. let's let's talk about that for a little bit you well, hear my that, biggest pet peeve my biggest pet don't peeve. say the cops are gonna put you in jail because you're acting bad in ralph's i hear that all the time that's so ridiculous oh my gosh <laughs> no you know, serious you'll, oh. you'll be uh you, whether you're walking you're on a call or i don't know you're at lunch or something and you know, a kid will be acting up or, you know, sometimes the, the parents will have their kids and, and they'll say, hey, if you don't behave yourself, I'm going to have that man take you to jail. Or if you don't, if you don't stop, if you don't knock it off right now, that guy's going to lock you up. And I'm telling you, that is the worst thing you could possibly do because, number one, you want the kids to go to a, a police officer in case there's a there's trouble, in case they, there's an emergency. Yeah, there's an, a legitimate emergency right. going on that you, you need help. You don't want them to be scared. You don't want them to be scared. And that's one of my biggest pet peeves. I've actually called parents out on that before where they've done that. Um, a few years ago at the Soul Cal Fair, a, a lady generated a complaint because of what I said. She said the same thing. She told her, I, I don't know if it was a little boy or girl, but she, I remember she said, she's like, yeah, if you don't uh, knock it off, that man's going to take you to jail. And, you know, the little kid was acting up. And I, I walked over and I told the little kid, I actually, I, I bought the kid cotton candy. I gave the kid cotton candy because even though he was misbehaving, I was like, ah, here's your cotton candy. And I said, hey, it's not my job to discipline you. That's your parents' job. And, <laughs> oh, yes. And the mom, the mom looked at me like she had this look on her face like, what? Like, I can't believe, how dare you tell me to actually do my job? And uh, she called and made a complaint. And so anytime everyone, anyone ever says that, that's one of my things that I... I don't, I, it just bugs me and I won't put up with it. Yeah. Th that's great. I mean, even working, even working in higher ed, we have parents call us all the time and ask us to do their job. I believe it. Will you kick my kid out of school? For adults. No, stop. For other adults. Yeah, no. Well, I'm paying for him to go to school. So, um, you know, I, I don't want him there anymore. Then stop paying for him to go to school. Well, like, well, why don't you just throw him out? Literally, like. That happens be the all guy. the time. I, I believe it. There all was the a, another funny story. This was uh, a few years ago, uh, 4th of July, and I was working at Canyon Lake. They have a huge, crazy 4th of July festival there. I love that place. And uh, there was a, uh, a gentleman who got extremely intoxicated and just was going around wanting to pick a fight, right? So everyone was kind of avoiding this dude because he was a bigger guy. And uh, he was just pissed off the world and wanted to fight someone. Well, he went and picked a fight with someone that... It didn't go so well for that person, for him. Uh, throws the first punch, throws the sucker punch, and it's all on video too, which was hilarious. It, w <laughs> it, went, it went viral, and uh, it was on like YouTube and World Star, good old World Star, mm. <laughs> World Star, and, World uh, Star, the absolute representation of the worst of society, by the way. But entertaining and great for training. Yeah, but, uh, that's right. <laughs> but that's about it. So this dude gets tuned up, it's right? Awful. The the bully in this situation gets tuned up, and this bully was 24 years old. I get there. I'm trying to take a statement from him. He's not cooperating. He just, and the other guy was self-defense. Everything was good. Nothing wanted to be done by either party. The following day, mom calls of the bully, and she's like, I want, uh, I want to press charges on the, other, on the other gentleman who hit my son. 
Like, I'm sorry, man. You can't do that. Like your son's 24. He's an adult. <laughs> it's. I'm telling you, this 24 is, year old baby. He, yeah. yeah, 24. 24 year old baby. But wow. These are. These are. Those are just some of the, the instances that you uh, you deal with. That that is not surprising at all. That's like literally, the same thing I hear all the time for 24 year olds. Just wow. I mean that that sort of comes back to, to challenges with with the world we live in it's just we're not raising kids to actually be adults like we're we have a society of people who just want no no responsibility who are raising their kids um in a way that says if something goes wrong it was obviously someone else's fault not your it's not your fault it's someone it's because this and it's because that over the last three weeks, I've seen one hit and run right in front of me, and I've heard about two others. We have a, a mutual friend who got in a pretty bad hit and run accident last week, right? And and I've been th- it's been like the one that I saw like totally blew my mind. I'm like, how could you I hate to right? see car accidents? So it's so scary. I like literally shocked me, and like to watch this person speed away was even more shocking. Yep. Um. But I, I like I you run through all that like it's easy to make like not excuses but like it's easy to generalize why someone would do that. Oh, they don't have insurance. Like, oh, you know, maybe maybe they have a warrant. Mm-hmm. Um, you think of all these things. You can just go through the list, right? And then and then at some level you're like, no, just we live in a world where no one wants to take responsibility for anything. Yeah. All right. Forget all that other stuff. Like it doesn't matter who this person was. Like you just literally won't stop and be like, "Oh my gosh, is are you okay? Like I I caused this. I'm sorry." Right. Like no one wants to be held accountable for their actions. Yeah, it seems. It's, and uh, it's terrible. They won't they won't man up for it, you know. Yeah, and when you live like when you create an entire society that starts to think that way, like you sort of you, th- you we're getting what what we've produced. Yeah, like we're reaping right. what we've sowed. Like that's what it is. And even at the at the K twelve level, so not even the higher ed level where these absolutely ridiculous things are happening. But when I was growing up, and I think being the son of a Marine kind of instilled a and my dad isn't a um a lot of these Marines were borderline uh if not full fledged abusive to their families. But my dad was never like that. I don't know how that happened, but you know, he wasn't quite quite as um strict right but one thing he always did was take the teacher's side and unless my memory is incorrect which recently it seems to be happening more and more you're getting old um if i'm not mistaken if i got in trouble at school they this was pre-cell phone and well pre-common cell phone and even pre-pager right the the, the call went to his superiors. It didn't go to him. It went to someone else that then chewed him out, you know, and then it goes down. And I remember in high school, I actually had a teacher that there was, there's all these loopholes because of a child's uh, due process. Mm. So the, a loophole that at least at the time where I went to high school, if you didn't give a low mark by the time progress reports came out, you couldn't fail them even if they were failing. Right. So basically this teacher gave everyone low marks. Like just to give them the option to fail if in you end up failing. Yeah, that's if right. If you did fail, you're going to really fail. Yeah. So progress report comes and 
my dad basically like gave me the business. Like, what's going on with this? I thought, and I'm like, dad, I'm telling you. But of course, what do kids do? Dad, I do all my homework constantly. Of course, there's kids are lying to their parents left and right. Oh, I used to lie to my parents about homework every single night. Yeah, that's uh, right. Literally every single night. They could tell you stories and stories about it. And you went to grad school. It's not like it makes you a bad kid. It's just... I mean, I failed the 8th and the ninth grade. So, I mean, I didn't get held back and I graduated on time, but... Oh, of course you weren't getting I did, held I back. did terrible. I, I, like, early high school, I was awful. It, it was... Yeah. I learned but really... But who did your parents believe if is, you, is the problem. If you forage your dad's signature the first time... It looks the same the rest of the semester. <laughs> it yeah. sure does. See, yeah. My problem was <laughs> I, I kept changing my, my, my mom would have a different signature every single time. So they, the teacher's smart. on after a while. Yeah. <laughs> but, but basically my dad, despite this teacher, this was actually the only time where I was truthful about this. I, I hated school. I, I still hate school. <laughs> and, but no, the default was son we need to have a talk. Not, uh, I'm going up to the principal's office and we're going to give that teacher the business. No, the kid got, and I see it every day. No, the, the, the teachers are under it. The teachers are under the lamp constantly. They're on the spotlight. They can only do wrong. And something happened in between the mid-90s and now, and I think it's the same with law enforcement. If, if my dad ever had to deal with law enforcement, and I can't think of a case where he had to on behalf of us, but no, we're wrong. The cops are right. And that's it. And I know that's different. And these days it, it kind of makes me think if you don't mind going into a little more controversial subject, Absolutely. how, how do, how do we deal with the fact that now the police maybe uh, in a lot of ways, rightfully so in a lot of ways uh, the public is wrong where they're being blamed for everything that they do when they have to deal with situations when it comes to maybe officer-involved shootings, use of force, um, you're automatically the bad guy now. And that just cannot be the case. It, that, but that's the public we're dealing with and racial profiling, like, right? Like all these things. So one thing I actually want to rewind and go back to what you mentioned about, you know, how a lot of these parents now will blame whether it's law enforcement or teachers, you know, like, hey, my kid's failing, you're not doing your job or, or whatnot. Well, little do they know that, you know, little Johnny's, you know, on his cell phone the whole entire time in class or he's not doing his homework or, you know, so they can't really blame the teacher, but yet they still do. Uh, there's been a couple times where I've responded to call, calls um, dealing with juveniles and I, I tell the parents, and I, I don't say it in a disrespectful way, but I tell them, look, you have to be involved with your, your son or your daughter I cannot fix uh, what's going on here in 15 minutes, and this has been going on for 16 years, you know. Yeah, and and I right. think yeah. I think that's one of the things <laughs> that now, as a as a new parent myself, I, I see how important it is to be involved in your kid's life. Uh, I think that's huge to be to know who their friends are, to know like who they are as a person, what their interests are, what they like, what they dislike, their favorite food, their favorite sports, whatever it may be. Wait, wait, wait! How dare you? imply that so societal like strength starts in the home oh I'm, how uh, dare you say I know, that? i'm sorry forgive me forgive me but I, I think it's huge i think it's so important and um and that's one thing too like you see even some uh kids some the sons and daughters 
of uh, and their parents are in law enforcement, they are sometimes some of the worst kids because, you know, dad or mom is on shift work and, you know, they never see their child. They're never involved. And even when they are off, uh, they decide to work overtime or they're, you know, on call and they're or they're doing their own thing and, and they're not involved with their with their son or daughter. And and I think that plays a, a major role, you know, in, in the disconnection between parent and and uh and child and that's one thing that i i do not want as uh as a new parent i've you know definitely have lessened my my workload i mean i get it my son's only nine months but um I've, like less I've, overtime like yeah less overtime just... like for me i think these especially these first few years are huge very important you know because he i want him to recognize who i am i want him to 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 come to me you know i mean um I want to be there for him as a friend and that's going to be the challenging part as you know, especially since this is a new chapter for me is where do I, where's that fine line, mm-hmm. you know, as a mm-hmm. friend, as a dad, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure I'll probably be picking your brain, you know, in the future, <laughs> you know, once he hits the, those two, three years old, you know, but I, I think that's so important, you know, and I, I just want to make sure that I, in some way, shape or form, I'm always involved somehow. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, societal sort of like upbringing, the, the family is the bedrock uh, of how our society is going to be strengthened. And I had a student, I, I have a student that I work with who I mentor who came to me last week. He wants, he's looking to marry this girl his girlfriend, not not just some random girl. <laughs> so there's this girl that I know. I we were at the marry. subway. Yeah, no, his girlfriend. He wants to marry his girlfriend, cheese. and he's really he 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 got really freaked out because she told him last week that she wanted to be a stay at home mom, and he was like, "Oh, that scares me oh, too." He, and he was like, "How?" Scary. He's like, "How? Uh, you know how how could I possibly? There's just too much to sacrifice. I I don't want to give up all this all the stuff we can have because you know because she doesn't want to work," and I was like dude, my wife doesn't work. <laughs> like I, w- and he's like, well, you know, are, aren't you missing out on stuff? I'm like, I want my children to be raised by our family, by my wife. I want her to be there at home raising our children. And yeah, there are things we have to sacrifice because of that. So what? Oh, 100%. Like, like is, right. you know, is another car, I mean, we each have a car, but like if we could, is a better car worth that? Is a bigger house or a, like we don't even own a house, we rent a house. It's like owning a home worth it. I'm like it isn't worth it to me. Who cares? Like my and and like you th- and I think about all of that. Like I think having kids makes you think about what's important, and it also has made me realize I'm gonna die one day. And I was and my boss was talking to me about his his mom's death the other day. He's like my mom died, and all this stuff happened, and we sold her house, and we each got a check, right? He's has three, four, there are four of them, two, two brothers, two sisters. And he was like, you know, my mom, my mom's dead. Our life, our childhood, everything's gone. And we each get like, I don't know, like 40 grand. And he's like, that, that's it. 40 grand. It's, it's all over. Like I got 40 grand. My mom's dead. My childhood house is gone. Like all this stuff is gone. And like, here's a, ch- and I was like, I, I, it made, just made me think like when, when my kids are in college, get married, have their own family, I, I don't care if they don't get any check. If they like if they have if they have the church, if they have family, if they have people who love them. Mm-hmm. If there's no check, there's no check. I want I like I hope I give them something more valuable than that. But um I I just just 
this American idea that we have to have more and more and more and more. And if you don't, if you're not on the path to more, you're missing out on something. You're right. It's, uh, it's like nowadays, both wife and husband have to work. Oh, yeah. You have to work just to, to make ends meet, it okay. seems, nowadays, depending where you're living. And, um, you know, that, that was actually very interesting because that was kind of a learning curve that we went through. Uh, both my wife and I both worked. And, you know, we had, we had no kids. And um, actually, when we first let's rewind to when we were first dating. I told my wife, I said, "Hey, uh, just letting you know, I'm throwing this out there. I don't want kids. I am letting you know ahead of time. That way, you know." And, <laughs> yeah, uh, don't you don't hold me yeah. responsible later. Yeah. I so told she, you. She kind of was like, "Yeah, whatever," you know. And um, <laughs> so you know, a couple years went by, and you know, it was it was awesome because you know we can do whatever we wanted to. Mm-hmm. We would take a weekend trip down to San Diego. We do this, we do that, and nothing was holding us back. And, uh, and we continue to do that. But the thing that changed for me was the birth of my first niece. Um, Sophia was definitely changed my life. She is amazing. And I, I thank her and I blame her for, <laughs> for, for making me have a, a change of heart. And, um, so then we, I was like open to the idea. And, uh, after a few years of, you know, enjoying just husband and wife, I know for everyone's different, mm-hmm. but for us, it. I think it worked for us because we got to enjoy our first few years as husband and wife, just the two of us. And then uh, once we started trying, you know, uh, we were blessed and boom, right off the bat, you know, we got pregnant. And um, I told her, I said, hey, um, I want you to stay at home. I -hmm. want you to stay at home for at least the first few years. And uh, I thought that was very important, especially this being our first uh, child. My wife wanted to go back to work, and I said, okay, look, I'm cool with you going back to work, but maybe part-time or, like, here uh-huh. and there. She she does hair. Yeah. And so I was like, maybe here and there. I was like, but don't – I don't want you, like, three, four days a week or anything. I'm like, I would rather have you. And and at first it was kind of a, a learning curve. You know, we had to make some sacrifices here and there. And, you know, and uh, I kind of had to let that go about, you know, not not focusing on the materialistic things, you know, and – seeing my son and like seeing his smile when I get home from work and uh, spending time as a family and the way he interacts with others. And that is irreplaceable. Oh, the best part of my day. I love my job. Mm -hmm. The best part of my day is going home. Right. Like literally the, there's nothing better than going home and having your kid run up to you. There's literally nothing better in the world. Right. It's it's amazing. There's been a couple awesome experiences. uh, These last few weeks, Uh, about three weeks ago, we went, uh, we actually went to the Bay area uh, we went up north, and we spent some time in Monterey, mm-hmm. and I took him to uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium. It's funny because my kid, I don't, I don't know, he's hes strange. He, he doesn't like cartoons. <laughs> he loves, like, Animal Planet and Planet Earth and, <laughs> and Shark Week and, and all these things on, like, Net Geo, right? So yeah. I literally could go on Netflix and put on, like, Blue Planet, and he'll just sit there and watch, and he's cool. So I'm like, this kid's going to, like, really freak out, you know, once he sees the, the aquarium. And it was one of the most powerful experiences, like seeing his little face and like how he was just clenching his hands and reaching out and making these little funny sounds. And he knew what was going on. He recognized yeah. it. And I thought to myself, I get to experience this. I am witnessing this firsthand. Mm-hmm. This is uh, an absolute blessing. And um, it was it was awesome, you know. And I think to myself, like, what if I worked all the time? I wouldn't have been able to maybe see that. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. You would never ever want to miss out on that. So that's amazing. Let's uh well you also just to kind of um think about that too, 
you already run the risk because of your job of not being there just on your normal, let alone taking extra work. Right, right. So so right now I'm actually at my assignment is uh, working out as a DT instructor in defensive tactics. So I train recruits. I train in-service, uh, you know, department members, outside agencies. I do a lot of, you know, uh, less lethal training uh, jiu-jitsu, grappling, Can taser. you define less lethal? Because some people, it sounds like it's just inherent in the title, but, like, tasers are less than lethal, but there's a possibility of... Uh, yes, tasers I, are, are less lethal. They're designed as less lethal tools, but depending on what happens, depending where they may get shot or the medical history of the person or, you know, uh, where you're at, like the elevation if they fall and hit their head... Yeah, it could cause, uh, you know, it could be lethal, you know, um, a baton, baton is, is a less lethal tool, but if I'm, if I'm fighting with someone and I'm swinging as hard as I can and I'm trying to strike them, let's say in like in the upper arm and the clavicle and they duck down and they, I hit them in the temple, take one to the, that could be lethal. Yeah. Um, so these tools are designed to be, you know, less lethal. I think sometimes people forget that. So talk to us. A little bit then about jujitsu, sure. About how you got started in jujitsu. Um, how you, you, I, you're a brown belt, right? Yes. Okay. So yeah, talk, talk, just talk to us about jujitsu. How you got started in it, um, and then eventually, once we get going, I want a little with that. I want to know how. I, I want to go back to your training, what you're doing in training with the police department. Yeah, absolutely. And, and talk about how you use that in your job right now. For sure. So uh, I started training jujitsu uh, about a year or so right before I started the academy, which was in 2006. So for me, I, I wrestled in high school, and I wasn't a, a great wrestler or anything, but I, I just did it because I liked the competitive aspect of it. And I was a huge mixed martial arts fan. And this was back in, like, 1999, 2000. So at the time, mixed martial arts was, you know, very, very small. No one knew, you know, the sport, and it was you still had to go to Blockbuster, rent the videos, and... Oh, and dude, so, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> I used to work at the old UFC uh, Pride Fighting Championships. Those were the best, right? So I was a huge like MMA nerd. Um, <laughs> I would follow it online. You'd go to the forums and read what happened in Japan. You know, with this fight over at like three in the morning, and so a lot of these fighters had a background in high school wrestling or collegiate wrestling. So that's what kind of got me into it. And I did it more as you know, stay in shape and uh, for self defense. Well, after high school. I was like, well, I, I want to continue. I want to do jiu-jitsu now. I, I would love to do Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And everyone says, yeah, I saw Hoist Gracie. And absolutely, that was that was one of the reasons. Uh, but also seeing Henzo Gracie fighting pride and Kazushi Sakuraba and these these great, you know. Because before that, jiu-jitsu was not on the map of it, just people in general. There, that was not a term that people spoke about. Yeah, just it, wasn't, it wasn't as big, um, you know. But you had, it, you had it only in certain areas. It was very limited. You were limited in where you could train. So there was nothing uh, around that time uh, in the Temecula area um, for, for jiu-jitsu training. So then a few years go by, actually a little while goes by, and uh, a nutrition store opens up called the Fight Lab. And it was a nutrition store, and the owner, uh, Corey Cass, good dude. I still talk to him till this day. He was a blue belt at the time, and... Uh, he meets another Brazilian gentleman named Alberto. He says, hey, I got all this room in the back of my store. We're going to put some mats out and just train here. So that was my first intro to jiu-jitsu. Was that the first school, would you say, like, say, in this area? In the in Temecula? 
not, it wasn't the first school, but it was the first successful school for me at the time. Oh, okay. So at the, at the time I just graduated high school, I was working at uh, Pachanga as a valet attendant and, uh, and going to college uh, part-time. So I still wanted to continue with, with training. So this was uh, specifically no-gi training, so like submission wrestling and MMA. And uh, I trained there. It was awesome. I, I enjoyed every aspect of it. And um, then I get into the academy. Um, I graduate the academy. I continue with my training. And then I, I took a break. I actually got into, like, kickboxing and boxing. And with, with jiu-jitsu, you know, a lot of people will agree it's uh, you have your own path. You know, um, everyone has their path. Life happens. You know, sometimes you can't train as much as you want. You know, you have a family, you have kids, your job, whatever it may be. But the fact is you should still try to strive and continue moving forward on your journey. You know, some people get to black belt faster. Um, you know, I've been training now coming up on 13 years. And uh, for me, it was never a rush. Um, maybe it's the American way of thinking where they want that self-gratification where like, okay, I've trained two months. I want my stripe. And I train another yeah. two and I want my stripe on my belt, you know. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's never been about that. I've always wanted to just learn as much as I can. So after the fight lab, um, I ended up moving to uh, now Menifee, and um, the closest jiu-jitsu gym to me at the t was uh, Gracie Baja, which was in Lake Elsinore, uh, over Canyon Hills Railroad Canyon. I trained there for a few years, um, and uh, I had a great time. I made a lot of good friends there, and uh, I learned quite a bit of fundamentals. And now my current gym, and I'm so glad I made this choice. Uh, this has been probably the best thing for me uh, personally and also for, for my jiu-jitsu. Uh, it had helped me tremendously as an instructor, but also motivating me uh, is at Carlson Gracie in Temecula. Carlson Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in Temecula. Um, the instructors there, the, my teammates are, are awesome. They are the absolute best. I'd like to give a shout-out to the head instructor, Tom Cronin. He is like my Yoda when it comes to jiu-jitsu. He's also a mentor, but just a good Should we have team. him on? He is that be, something he would do? He would be awesome. I'm, he would uh, probably love doing this. Yeah, absolutely. He would. He's an amazing person. That'd Let's be tuck cool. that in the back, back of the head. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, going to that school has been probably the best thing I, I could have done for myself. Um, so I've been training there ever since. I've been there the last few years. Um, that's where I've promoted to my brown belt under Carlson Gracie Jr. And uh, it is one of the best schools in the, in my opinion, the best school in the area. That's awesome. So. How how has that, like your last 13 years, how has that sort of training that is really sort of uh, in some ways separate from your life as an officer, how has that informed your life as an officer? And how does that inform how how you sort of think on the job, if that makes sense? No, absolutely. So one of the things that I think jujitsu does is give you confidence. Uh, that's one of the tools that it gives you, not only uh, self-defense, but it also gives you the confidence to to know what you are capable of doing uh, what happens if this fight goes to the ground or what happens if this person attacks you i'm not a big guy by any means um and there's been many situations where i have been challenged and it's because of jujitsu that has able to make that level playing field where i'm able to control a suspect or or get the better end of them you know during a fight or something um it's you know, still shocking to me that someone would attack someone with a gun it, it, it is absolutely shocking to me that that's a thing. It happens. You know, it <laughs> happens whether it's attacking someone with a gun or even trying to trying to take the gun away, which has happened on a few occasions. But, uh, 
I'm, I'm telling you. Personally? It, personally, yes. Yeah. Um, but it, it gives you that confidence. Uh, the other thing, too, is when you, when you are confident in that level, I think, uh, and this, I can't speak for everyone, but it also, I think, sometimes will eliminate the uh, option of going to lethal force right away. Mm-hmm. Because the person knows what they're capable. Of. Now, I can't speak on every single situation because, obviously, if I'm in a fight, I don't know what, what if they have any weapons or, or anything like that. Every situation is different. But um, I think that definitely plays a, a huge factor. You know, when I, when I uh, was assigned at the jail, you know, jiu-jitsu helped me out for sure. But it wasn't until one particular day on patrol um, where I finally realized, like, hey, this, this is real. And... It kind of made sense, and it just that, that was a I would say a, a life changing moment for me. Because it's it's uh, the the jail is more enclosed. It's more you got someone in five seconds coming yeah, so to your help. There, there's on definitely the street is different. There's definitely dangers, you know, at the jails, especially more now with like the realignment. You know, uh, AB one hundred nine. There's a lot the of the release uh, from prison. Yeah, a lot the, of uh, yeah. prisons have moved their people to county jails because they can't fit them. So you're dealing with a different level uh, of of inmate. Um, but this is an interesting story. This was the day that I was like, whoa, jujitsu is real. Um, <laughs> this was, I was working day shift, and this was on a Saturday. And typically on day shift, on the weekends, you know, you don't actually start getting your calls until maybe about 11 or noon. People sleep in. They don't, you know, so the first few hours are pretty chill. And uh, the thing to do was on day shift, on the weekends, okay, go hit up breakfast with your, with your crew and then start handling calls. Uh, or catch up on reports or whatnot. So that particular day, I was like, I don't know, I wasn't that hungry. I ended up just, my typical thing was go to a gas station, grab a monster, and start my day. So I get a call. Got that heart attack. Got to grab that. <laughs> it's, I, it's more for the flavor now, man. It's, they don't even do anything for me now. But it's Get just your heart flavor. attack in before your shift <laughs> yeah. starts. So I, I grab my monster, and uh, they dispatch me a call of a uh, restraining order violation. Okay. Oh, that's already domestic violence or... So it's a, it's a low priority. I, I noticed that there, there's four priorities, level one, two, three, and four. Obviously, one being the most, you know, the highest of importance, and four is kind of a low level. So it's a level four priority. So I'm like, interesting. I read the call, and if I remember correctly, the text of the call said that the, uh, the reporting party, so our victim, uh, was the lady who was calling and said, hey, my ex-husband showed up. I have a restraining order. And he's not supposed to be here. She goes, he's gone. He, he's, he left. He's not here anymore. But I just wanted to make a, a quick report. So I'm like, all right. It doesn't really sound bad. There's you know no reason I should rush over there. But since I had nothing going on, I, I cruised on over. I get there. I knock on the door. Uh, lady answers the door. And she's beat black and blue. Ooh. Her nose is actually Terrible. pointed the other way. Oh, it's broken. No. She's she's bleeding from the top of her eyebrow um, profusely. She was actually she had a, a towel over it. She talked it down like maybe she was just used to it or wanted to protect him, so she didn't really communicate how. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna fi- I'm gonna file a report just because like as protocol, so it's on the on right. the book. If she would have been yeah. a little bit more descriptive, like, hey, uh, yeah. my, my husband just assaulted me, or you know something like that, then obviously we would have gotten there way faster and, and additional people would have gone uh but it was just me so and she's also holding a baby this baby was oh, less no that's the worst part less than six months right so i see this and i'm i'm caught off guard I, i'm in shock i'm like what the so she says he's down the street he's wearing jeans and a gray dallas cowboys t-shirt and i forgot the gentleman's name 
And the first thing I thought of was, now, mind you, this is a, a younger me, so I'm, like, a little bit more hyped up. Like, I'm going to catch this guy, like, ASAP. It was Rick, I think. So I think his name was Rick. <laughs> he was Rick. So I was going to go with Todd, but hey. <laughs> or Todd. Rick or Todd. Uh, I was going to find Rick or Todd. So, so I tell the lady, I'm like, go inside, lock the door. We'll be right back. I call for an ambulance. I call for fire and uh, for AMR, and I call for two additional units uh, to meet up with the lady at this, uh, at this house. I'm like, if this dude's close by, I want to be the first one to catch him. I want to be the first <laughs> guy, the guy to catch this dude. I'm, like, I'm going to find him right now. And, and I did. And now there's all these track homes there, but uh, prior to that, it was a large, empty uh, field, uh, just a dirt field over off of Orange and and Nuevo in the city of Paris. So it was northwest of that. So For our international listeners, that is not <laughs> Paris, France. Not Paris, France. Yes, not Paris, France. Not Paris. <laughs> so I find homeboy. He's walking away. Uh, I drive up through the dirt. I'm kind of like, you know, uh, I'm, right, I'm getting right behind him. I get on the PA. I'm like, hey, stop right there. Stop right there. He's not listening, and uh, I put out my location. Finally, he stops. I get out of my car, and he turns around. He takes his shirt off, and he starts, you know, yelling like, "What the fuck are you gonna do?" You know, and, um, he's like, "Hey, what are you gonna do? This and that. He, all these, you know, expletives and whatnot." How do you call out where you're at? I don't mean to interrupt, but like, you call out your location. Is it just descriptors, or do you guys use GPS and you have your like actual? So that old system we had was the old radio system. So I had to be very descriptive with, with my location. So I put out, hey, this is, uh, I don't know, two, two pairs 34. So two pairs 34, I'm going to be in the, you know, dirt lot northwest of Orange and Nuevo. So, so yeah, they so someone would be like, okay, I know where that is. And they'd have to drive and look right, and to the northwest and be like, okay, area, yeah. there's the field. Absolutely. So so they have a, a better understanding of where I'm at. And that's that's huge. Always put out a good location you know so they know where you're at there's no worse feeling than trying to find someone and them not giving you like an idea of where they're at so he's just yelling and screaming he's like go ahead shoot me motherfucker, shoot me and you know and um i actually have him at gunpoint and he starts walking forward walking forward walking forward and he stops and i was like right at that point where i was like man this is close like if he starts charging me or getting closer i'm gonna i'm gonna shoot him so I go away from oh, my car. Oh, that's a terrible decision that I have to make. It, it, was, it was rough, you know. And that's I was like, a rough place to be. I remember him walking forward, and terrible. I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to transition. I holstered up my gun. I go to my taser. And as I did this, that was like his opportunity. So, boom, he starts charging me. He runs, and we were already pretty close. I'd say within 15 feet. And um, That's not far. No, not at all. Not he, so he covered it quickly. I was able to get one shot off with the taser. Now, this is with our old taser system, the X-26. Um, I fire it. One dart goes in his neck. The other dart misses. So ineffective taser hit, right? You have to have two probes connected on the body to be effective. Only one hit him in the neck. The other one uh, missed. So he rushes me. I get that shot off. It happens so quick, but he ends up tackling me. He, you know, boom, just like I got hit by a train. We hit the ground. We roll a couple times, and he ends up in a top mount position. Okay, so he's over me, like in a straddling position. And I remember he starts throwing punches. He's throwing elbows he i remember uh, is he connecting some some, some punches he's landing he grabs me by the uniform he's like slamming my head on the ground and i'm covering up covering up and he grabs a rock i remember he like reached out and grabbed a rock and just bam cracked me on the side of the head luckily my forearm took most of it and then i'll never forget this moment this is like one of those like we like uh like oh oh crap moments uh grabs me by the uniform pulls me in and he says gomez i'm gonna fucking kill you wow and I'll never forget. I'm like, and the first thing I thought of was, how does he know my name? Like, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't tell him my name. That's what I thought. I was like, how does this guy know my name? 
And uh, it's I later I, during the interview, he was like, "Oh, I, I read your name tag." I was like, "Oh, okay, makes sense." So um, at that point, it just like I went into autopilot. I kind of pushed away. I hipped up. I rolled him. Now I was in his guard position, but he didn't know what he was doing. He had no grappling experience. Uh, I pushed a knee down. I took a top mount position, and then at that point, I just started knee on the belly, uh, knee on belly, and then I got into a top mount position. So I started throwing punches. Left, right, elbows. Um, during my third or fourth punch, I broke my right hand. Uh, my Ooh. right hand was all, the right knuckles were all swollen. Um, that I didn't feel that until the very end when the adrenaline wore off. So I'm just hitting this guy over and over, and he's reaching up trying to hit back, grab my uniform, and and uh, I must have thrown like 20 to 30 punches. Um, he was all cut up from the elbow, so he's bleeding profusely. And then finally, and he's trying to roll me over, but I'm still keeping my a good base, right? I'm not letting him roll me. Finally, he gives up his back, and at that point, once oh. he gave up his back, hooks were set in. I sunk in a, a carotid restraint um, for the uh, for some people. They'll, they'll refer to it as like a, as a choke, but it wasn't a choke. We could talk about that more later. Because yeah, yeah, we were. Th- I, yeah. Was it us that we were talking about it last night? It might have been someone else, but you're not cutting off airway when someone gets choked out. No, you're cutting when, off blood. So what I was doing is it's lateral pressure on the sides of the carotid artery. So it's a, it's a vascular restraint. The front of the, of the neck, you know, if I'm actually applying direct pressure to the, to the throat, then yes, that's a choke. Right. But I wasn't choking this guy. Um, I'm applying pressure. I'm applying pressure. I have it sunk in. I, I knew I had it. You know, it's just a, a matter of time. So I sunk it in. I held it, held it, held it. Boom, he's out. Once he was out, I remember I was just, I was gassed. I'm like breathing. I'm like trying to, okay, where, here's this left hand and where, okay, here, where are my cuffs? You know, everything, my, the whole world's spinning. And uh, at this point, it was, it was kind of funny. Um, the, my closest backup units, the, the ones I got there first, were two detectives from Lake Elsinore. They were actually in Paris, but they were, uh, like, watching a house. And they heard this call go out. So they were like, well, we're closest. Let's go there. So as I'm, like, trying to figure out what the heck's going on and trying to, okay, where's my, where's my mic? Where's my radio? Where's this? Where's that? I look up, and I see these two dudes in suits running towards me. And I put my hands up like, oh, what? Am I going to fight, fight these guys too? Or uh, who, who the hell are these guys? Oh, no. <laughs> so they, they, they bring their badges up. And they're like, Gomez, Gomez. And then I, I recognize them. I was like, oh, thank God. And then I just remember like I fell back on, on my unit. I kind of leaned back and I was like, I was tired. That yeah. doesn't sound like a long time, but we had been fighting for like two minutes, two, three Ooh. minutes. So it was No, crazy. that's a long time. That's a long time. It's a very time. long time. So at that point, after everything was said and done, that – that motivated me to get back into training as more, more jujitsu. And, uh, people ask me now, like, Hey, why do you train jujitsu? And I tell them the reason I train jujitsu is because I believe in it. Yeah. Nice. Wow. I'm just taking that all in, man. If anyone's ever been in a fight, they realize what, after just a guy, 20 seconds maybe. And they're gassed. Yeah. When when I do, when I do, uh, when I do, um, like live training with, for example, with the recruits, We'll do uh, scenario-based training where I'll have them roll for a minute, 30 seconds. After a minute, 30 seconds, some of these guys are, are dead tired. They are extremely mm-hmm. gassed out, and that's just a minute, 30. You know, it's a different type of cardio. It's a different type of uh, workout. You know, like I, I appreciate the fact that people uh, take care of their health, especially in this profession. You know, um, but going to the gym, in my opinion, is, is not enough. You know, I mean, yeah, you can bench this, and yeah, you may look all shredded and and you know, aesthetically, that's awesome. But and that'll work for 99% fight. of the population. They're like, oh, I'm not going there with this guy. 
Yeah, yes and but, no though. Yes and no. I think I think people are starting to challenge that because there's always that one person they're like I don't they they know. They, if sometimes it's more of a the image that you portray like if this guy's a big old jack yoke dude you may not deal with you have to get in as many fights as per, like me, you know. Um but it it depends cuz now if you're dealing with someone that's under the influence of something they're not going to think about those things. Oh, true. You know, prior to going hands on. So do you think that you're your experience in jujitsu like gave you pause to not shoot him in that situation like did did was that part of your decision making yeah it, there there's uh cuz you could have shot him i a, mean and, yeah. and but now like and so part of the controversy publicly these days is right like he's an unarmed man running at you and you're an armed police officer and you just killed an unarmed man right like that's that's the controversy but like I mean, like, the question is, like, even in, in, in your situation, if you weren't trained to fight hand-to-hand, sure. he might he might have been able to at least, like, kill you or at least severely injure you and get away. Oh, absolutely. He, uh, it, the one thing I forgot to mention, too, is uh, he had also been up for three days straight. And when I contacted, oh, when I contacted him, yeah, when I contacted him, he was higher than a kite. He's, he was on a meth binge. So they, they don't really feel pain. You know, it's, they don't really feel pain. So he was yeah. just like, go, 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 you know. Especially and, uh, at that time. I mean, three days up on meth. Jeez. Yeah, it, was, not gonna it was intense, pain. but to there's no question, pain. Yeah, to answer your question, um, would it have been a justified shooting if I would have gone to lethal force? Uh, yes, it, yeah. it would have. But in that situation, I believe jujitsu not only saved my life, but also saved his. Yeah, it, um, I, I think that's right. That that seems right. Because <laughs> if he were sober, right, he would have actually valued his life. Maybe. He, yeah, you maybe. Know, hopefully he would have been more cooperative or more compliant, you know, especially with uh, with what was going on. Or But then there comes situations where, you know, uh, and I, I know every single person uh, has come into contact where you're going to deal with someone one day. It's not about if, if you're going to get into a fight. It's when. And sometimes you may contact that one parolee that already has two strikes that, you know, has committed a felony. And this is going to be his third one. Yep. And he will do everything in his power to escape he, if he, even if it has to kill you maim you hurt you he's going to do everything he can because his freedom is more important than your life and uh and that's one thing that i've accepted you know i have to you have to be ready i always tell people stay ready you have to stay ready one of the one of my best uh one of my favorite quotes is if you stay ready you ain't got to get ready and i think mother, 40 right uh, mother Teresa. Oh, is it Mother Teresa? Because I heard it from a hood dude that I work with. I just I just made up Mother Teresa. I don't know who said that, but <laughs> I just... <laughs> well, no, I, I actually, I've been um, in some ways living by that quote for a long time, but I heard it from a from a hood dude that I know. It might have been And 40. I thought it was coming from, from, yeah, from one of the <laughs> Bay Area rapper. Open. Yeah. Because it made so much sense. Good old E-40. Yeah, I, it, yeah. it does make sense, you know, and, and I tell people, you know, um, the importance of training, you know, which, with, which what I do now is, uh, you know, people sometimes think they have this, like, I don't know, this, this dream, this fantasy that like, Oh, if I'm involved in a fight or if there's like the boogeyman's out to get me, or there's like some active shooter situation, I'm going to rise to the occasion. I'm going to rise to the occasion and be able to handle that threat. No, you're not. You're going to fall back to the level of your training. And if you don't do anything, Mm -hmm. you're going to fail horribly. And, and that's the thing. That's what I tell people. You have to train because you're going to always fall back to the level of your training. So, so it's, e- there's situations to where you, there's no processing. There's only doing. Right. Absolutely. A lot of situations. I yeah. mean, even, even at university, that's why 
like at our level there our active shooter trend like they actually like led with that with that rationale is you're gonna fall back to whatever training you have sure so we're gonna give you active shooter training that way if you have to fall back to it you'll know what you won't just be standing around you'll know what to do like you just okay they told me to they, I mean, one of the things they told us is, uh, and this is a little bit off topic, but no lockdown. If there's an active shooter, no lockdown. Run, get out. I agree. Interesting. They I were agree. like, get away. One of the there's a, a course that that um, I know a few of the instructors there they teach the run hide fight. Yep, method. that's it. That's right. Run hide fight. It's exactly what we were taught. And I I don't I I still it it blows my mind that some schools have this policy set in place that. Hey, we're gonna turn off the lights, lock the door, and we're all gonna hide under our desks and hope nobody, nobody doesn't come. As, like, where else are the people gonna go? Right. Of course, they're in the classroom. It's like you know, remember like uh, you you see those old videos like World War Two. Like if hey, if uh, if they drop an atomic bomb on us, we're yeah, gonna yeah. just go ahead. If you see that bright flash, go and hide under your desk, and you'll be fine. You know. Yeah. It's the same thing. <laughs> this, this dude's going to shoot through the windows or shoot through the door. Or, He's going to come through the door. You know, it's it's sad, you know, but the one it's thing crazy. too. And I know there has uh, there's different mindsets with, uh, you know, having armed teachers or armed security. Uh, numbers have shown. I, I wish I had the, the numbers or the, the, the facts on that to back it up. But whenever there's some type of active shooter, the moment they are encountered, the moment they are encountered by whether it's an, uh, an armed personnel or a, another person, that's it. The shooting stops. Whether you hit them or you don't, as soon as someone starts shooting back at the bad guy, boom, it's over. And huh. at that point, you can save a lot of lives. So I think that's uh, that should be taken into consideration, especially um, all throughout the United States. Yeah, interesting. Schools are the most... I don't know about colleges, because a lot of, especially public colleges, they have their own police departments. But... Um, K-12s do not usually. There are some. I think Oakland has a K-12 police department. Um, San Bernardino does. There's a, there are some, but it's not uh, the norm. L- LA school police too, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you just have directors of safety. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. It, it... I mean, that's mostly what, what you have. Right. Even at, if you're not at, like, private universities, that's what you have. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, you're right. Public UCs have their own police departments, but... So the, the I think, if I'm not mistaken, protocol is absolutely lock the door, right, and get down. I mean, for that's, but to be honest, I don't think I would be real comfortable with teachers having guns. Uh, yeah, and that I mean, that's. Uh, I know teachers, and I'm not being insulting to them, sure. but they are not. They're teachers for a reason. Well, if you were going right. to arm teachers, you would have to train them, like rigorously train them. They would, I, would, I believe they would have to have some type of training set in place, uh, whether They'd it's quarterly, you know, quarterly, yeah. quarterly or something. It would be something similar to like police officer certification training. Oh, yeah. You'd sure. have to be certified. And then yeah. maybe, maybe leave it as an option. Like, hey, those that want to carry, you know, who, you know I'm, there's – I know retired, you know, coppers, retired people in the military that are now teachers that, right. you know – do have firearms and I'm sure that they would be all about it, you know, and, um, but I know it's a touchy subject. I know, you know, people right now, there's the whole gun control and mental health and, but I just think let that option be there yeah. for the protection of the students. So let's ask another jujitsu question. Sure. So, um, it seems, it seems obvious and pretty awesome actually the the way that 
that can impact police training and sort of how police officers are able to interact with suspects and even maybe non-suspects just being able to approach people and without fear. Right. Um, what, what benefits, uh, are there for jujitsu for maybe like the general public, like for, you know, 30 year olds who have too much weight in their belly, like Eric and me. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I'm a little bit older than that, but (laughs) so I I think first part's true. I think either way, when you train jujitsu, it's a win-win situation. Um, for let's say a civilian that trains it, you know, let's just say they're doing it as a hobby. They just, they don't want to necessarily compete. They're not out to be the next, you know, Abu Dhabi world champ or anything. They just <laughs> want to compete. All right. They just want to train. Uh, that's great because number one health for health benefits. It's, it's man. I'm telling you, I've seen some people go through amazing changes. Um, it is great. And, and you know, this from, from the times you've trained, uh, it's a, a hell of a workout. Um, I also think it gives people, uh, self-confidence, you know, in case, uh, they're ever encountered with like some, a situation where maybe they not, they're not able to, they're not able to walk away or, or get away from the fight. Um, so, and then also if the fight does to go to the ground and FBI statistics show that street fights, and these are street fights, FBI statistics show that street fights, I believe it's 97.3% of street fights go to the ground. Now, Fights in law enforcement, I, I always tell people it's like 99.9%, if not 100, because, I mean, we give verbal commands to go to the ground. And, yeah. And, and you're trying to arrest someone. You have to get that. Usually, you have to get them on the ground to arrest them. Right. Yeah. And if, if they're if they're actively resisting, for sure, you know, if they're compliant, different story. But, uh, yeah, the, every single fight that I've been in has gone to the ground. Um, so there, there's a lot of benefits. And also, I think it's just a great stress relief. You know, there's some people that, you know, they go to the jujitsu, they train there, and man, the afterwards you feel so much better. Um, and you're learning. You're learning to not only protect yourself, um, and you're you're learning new techniques, but you know you're also building friendships with the people there. And uh, you know you have all walks of life. You know everyone is is equal on the mat. You know, mm-hmm. um, you, so you know friendships are there, and uh, and it's just it's just a great time. You know it's a great journey. It's uh, in my opinion uh, the top martial art that someone could, could train, uh, for law enforcement. Yeah. Cool. I think about too, um, this is something that we've actually discussed a little bit, but I don't know how I'm going to do this or even if it's possible because I do work for a K-12, but my thought, and you can tell me if I'm wrong or right or neither just is jujitsu to me is the only thing that's going to work for anti-bullying. The, the the bureaucrats that run these districts, uh, maybe even maybe even higher ed, I'm not too sure how that how that uh, works, but there is almost zero self defense. Right. You're either mutually combative or you ran away. That's it. Mm. The it's very at some point for the disciplinary um, ladder the discipline ladder to kick in, you're both guilty because how you don't want to offend anyone's feelings. You don't right. want to hurt anyone's feelings. So my thought is, especially for girls, I, I, I think jujitsu is where it's at. But how do, you, um, how do you bring in the one martial art that gives the control completely to the person the ability to stop it? Like, you have a suspect, but just say it's a fight between two students. You now have someone's arm. 
it's up to that person whose arm is being tweaked to calm down. Right. And the jiu-jitsu practitioner will know, okay, I'm not going to break this guy's arm unless they really keep in on me. To me, that's how you defend against bullies. For one, they're going to see that you're confident, like the confidence you're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be able to react to that. You're not an easy mark. But if they so decide to cross that line, it's still in their control because, yeah, you're controlling their body, but it's up to them whether or not they leave with a broken arm. But yet, it comes down to how would a K-12, a public institution, deal with the anti-bullying? Because you will never, ever, ever be able to do it with, um, uh, what is it called? Like, just rules. Right. That doesn't work. So, jujitsu for bullying, I think, is, is, is amazing. You know, uh, the, the Gracie uh, uh, family members, uh, Henner and on Gracie, they do a thing called Gracie Bully Proof, which uh, they have a couple of videos on YouTube, which shows some stories of people that have been bullied. They bring them out. They train jujitsu with them. They get into jujitsu, and it's almost like they become this different person. They mm-hmm. they develop this, you know, this self confidence. They're able to protect themselves, and you could see it in the way they walk and the way they talk. and And people catch up, catch on that. You know, like I. That's another reason why I think. I love jujitsu because there's been times where people have looked at me uh, on patrol or on calls and they decide not to fight because they look at like my ear, which I have a, some, some cauliflower on there and they're, they're <laughs> smart about that. They always yeah, they, be smart when you run into people with that. And it's funny because yeah. they'll ask me like, Hey, do you train? I'm like, no, I actually just got this cosmetically done. So it looks like I train, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but the way you, the way you handle yourself, you know, you have to, you have to speak with confidence. You, you can see, you know, the difference between someone that's confident and someone that's not. And, uh, and you can definitely pick up on all those vibes. Um, but for the kids, I know it's extremely difficult with the, with your, you know, different, uh, school systems out there. Um, all the administrators, you know, a few weeks ago, we actually worked with some ex- administrators on, on some of the, uh, uh, campus supervisors. If they're trying to restrain a student, what can they do? And, uh, it was Ooh, interesting. That's an interesting gray area. It was very gray. And that's the thing. Very gray. They, that's the thing. I, I, I was thinking to myself, well, there can't be a, a really there. There has to be rules set in because the thing is, there are kids that are are giant. There are some like massive kids, and yeah, what are these campus are supervisors dangerous. supposed to do? Just sit there and okay, please stop hitting me in the face. Stop hitting me in the face. I can't do anything. I'm gonna just push away. You know, um, early on, if you have a if you're dealing with elementary schoolers, maybe even middle school, even possibly high school, if you have that bully, one thing that I mean, yeah, jujitsu is gonna help, but. I mean, if you were, if that little kid that's being bullied, if they just hauled off and with all their power just threw a right straight and cracked that bully in the nose, yeah, like just straight up, bam, you know, and just set them on their ass, that delivers a huge message. Now, will the bully get up and probably either try fighting and maybe get the better of the fight? Possibly. That's an option. Or that bully might get hit and be like, whoa, he actually stood up for himself. I'm not going to bully this kid. So... I don't know. I, I, I was uh, talking to my wife about this the other day about if, God forbid, if uh, my son ever gets bullied, you know, uh, I'm going to teach him. I'm going to raise him just like my parents told me. Don't ever, don't you ever, ever bully someone. Yeah. Don't ever bully someone. And if you see someone getting bullied, you have our full permission. We'll back you up to go defend that person. So if my son, if I ever get a call and they're like, hey, you know, your son uh, punched this kid in the face because he was bullying this kid over here, I'm going to take my kid out for ice cream. I'm going to congratulate him. I'm going to say, hey, good job. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, obviously, don't start any fights, 
but definitely finish them. And I think uh, once again, it's, it's, it's like you you mentioned earlier. It's that it's that society, uh, the different views that they have nowadays. Yeah, I mean that that kind of I spoke about it on the uh, one of our earlier episodes. But when I first came to this area from Twenty Nine Palms, it, I was I was just completely lost. I I started school late. Thanks, Dad. And so I, and it, the school was as big as our community college in the desert. So right. I was just terrified. You know, I was like 14 years old. And this kid was getting the crap kicked out of him by two dudes. And my dad was retired from the Marine Corps and he was training for the police academy at that time. So all he did was work out all day, basically. And I came home. He was home. He was asking me about my day. And I told him about that situation. And his response to that was, so what did you do? I said, well, what do you mean, what did I do? He was getting cracked by two dudes, right? Yeah. What did you do? Nothing. And it was just like a sigh. Mm. I forgot that, you know, this was like 20-something years ago. But the, the reaction was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's not how I raised you. That's not how I raised you. You let that dude get cracked by two dudes? Mm-mm. Shame on you, you know? It's that kind of thing. It's unfortunate, though, now because, I mean, and I'm sure you've seen this, like it's no, no longer a one-on-one fair fight. It's not, you know, hey, we're going to fight. You know, let the, may the best man win. And then after the fight, hey, it, beef is done. It's squashed. Let's move on. Weapons are involved now. Guns, knives. Jumping. Uh, other people are it's jumping in. very common. And it gets it gets nasty. And then the, and those grudges are held. And then, hey, we're going to go jump this guy. And when we see him you know, in the street or something. It's no longer a, a one-on-one, okay, we're done, cool, let's move on, and that's it. Yeah, so, yeah. But so that, that's that's the other thing, too, when, when it comes to uh, kind of going back to jiu-jitsu, um, you know, when people train it, I think that's also sometimes it could be a real ego check. And I think that's one of the reasons why people, Most whether certainly. civilians, and, and I see it firsthand, um, it's an ego check. People are, are timid to number one, be on the ground because obviously you don't want to be there during a, a fight. Um, but also it, it's, it's uncomfortable sometimes for people. It's a very intimate martial art. You know, you're on top of people. It's a, you know, you're sweating, you, you know, you're in these compromising positions. Um, yeah. and, and some people, of them are flat, disgusting. Like <laughs> when <laughs> I remember when there's a guy I really like, um, I'm not going to say his name over the thing, but basically I thought he was the roughest with me, but I actually appreciated it. Mm. He was doing some like pretty brutal stuff on me, but he wanted me to be better right. too. And one of them, he, he was a black belt, and we're talking about I'm a at best a white belt. I don't even say that. Just I'm a nothing. And there was one position where he was sitting on my face, <laughs> actually sitting on my face, and. What do you instinctively do? You freaking panic. It's worse than if they have you in an arm bar. When right. someone is sitting on your face and it's a grown man, <laughs> you just squirm. It, w- it was just, yeah, compromise situation. That, that's you, about as compromised as it gets. <laughs> at that point, yeah. all you can do is hope they're wearing compression shorts and that, right. you know, you, they don't do anything. <laughs> uh, but, no, and, and that's, that's a perfect example, you know. Um, you have to train. You, people have to realize you have to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Yeah. And I think that teaches you. It teaches you how to deal with adversity 
because if you're dealing, and I deal with that on a day-to-day basis when I'm training, I, there are savages that I train with uh, that, are, that are catching me in, in arm bars and chokes, that are just controlling me, that are making me work. And I think to myself, I thank them. When they beat me or they get the better of me or they catch me in a submission or when we, it doesn't matter if we have just a really solid role, I thank them because I know for a fact that this is what I'm able to handle in here. There's no one that's going to come at me like that out in the field. Now, I understand things are different with uniforms, you know, weapons and, yeah. and, and being in the street, being on concrete as opposed to mats. But it, once again, it goes back to that confidence. It, it, it gives me that confidence of, I know this guy is not going to bring it like my training partners. And if you're lucky, you may be in this fight 30 seconds, maybe a minute. I'm, I'm rolling with these monsters for six minutes and then boom, next six minute round. And then boom, yeah. next six minute round. So oh, that's, that's the other grueling. thing too. And, and that you, was, that and was you, one of my challenges as um, when I got assigned to the academy. One of my challenges was I brought jujitsu to our, our training. I wanted to implement that. That was one of my goals. That was actually one of the reasons why I accepted going to the academy. That was like a term of your, you brought that to the table? And uh, not necessarily a term. Like I, I wasn't like, yeah, I'll go, but you have to but sign you gotta this. you got to let me do this. Yeah, you have to <laughs> sign this. No, I, um, I, you know, the reason why I was brought up there at the, at the time, the captain knew that I, I was in, into training, and he was one of my captains at the uh, pair station. So he's like, hey, let's bring him up here. I think he'd be a great fit. And he would enjoy this spot. So yeah. um, I, I did. And, but one of my challenges was I was like, you know what? I want to bring jujitsu. I want to make this realistic. Because some of the techniques they were still showing uh, in the academy were techniques that they are showing 20 plus years ago. And I'm like, this stuff's not going to work. This stuff's not going to work. People were still world. thinking Steven Seagal stuff was going to like, yeah, is it that kind some, of thing? Some, some, some positions. Like movie <laughs> stuff. I love that you, you know, went straight karate. to Steven Seagal. Well, this is why you're my well, friend. Well, because lit- he's literally a cop, first of all. Yeah, Out for Justice is a great and movie. I have that on Blu-ray. <laughs> but, um, he's literally a cop teaching other cops yeah. the stuff that he knows. And it's like. Uh, so <laughs> I, I wanted to revamp it. I, I was like, let's be realistic. What works, what doesn't work, you know, and, uh, and I changed up quite a bit on our ground curriculum with the help of a few others, you know, a few other people that, you know, definitely were, were there uh, pushing for this. Yeah. Uh, did I run into some resistance? 100%. Absolutely. Um, it was difficult. Um, but one of my challenges was I said, you know what, I'm going to develop a jujitsu for, uh, our law enforcement, like jujitsu class, right? I want it's going to be jujitsu strictly for law enforcement. I want to create this training class, even if it's just one day of training, my goal is if someone can retain one technique and maybe that technique, uh, they apply it in the future and it saves their life, mission accomplished. If that yeah. person leaves the class and they're like, hey, you know what? This is cool. I've never done any jiu-jitsu before. This, is, this was challenging. And they go sign up at a gym, mission accomplished. That is the best feeling in the world. Um, when someone, whether it's a recruit or someone that takes my class, they, they end up going and I, I see them on like Instagram or Facebook and they, they post like, Hey, I just, uh, you know, my first day of jujitsu class and they're wearing their gi and they have their belt that they tied wrong. You know, they have it on. That is the <laughs> most amazing feeling. I'm telling you, it is, I feel so, I feel so amped up. It motivates me. You know, I, I get all, I'm getting hyped up just thinking about it, but I can tell you countless of people that uh, have gone and, and, and signed up at their local jujitsu gym or, I mean, it doesn't even have to be jujitsu, you know, like I just tell people go out and train, you know, whether jujitsu, judo, Krav Maga, boxing, do something that is realistic in Mm -hmm. a, in a combat scenario. All my respect to the traditional martial arts, you know, like your Kung Fu and 
taekwondo and, and all those. It's still but, difficult. That's not the I, – I wasn't harping on it because right. – No, no, no. They're going to work you to death. Sure. I'm just talking about the the actual ability to defend yourself with it. Right. That's right. all I was. Yeah. Kind no, of and about. and you know we we had we I can tell you the the hours and countless hours we'd go over. Okay, like okay, well, what about this? And and I get it. Like I mean, there's nothing in law enforcement. Like there's no one technique that will do, that'll work every 100 percent of the time. Um, we're just being realistic here. There's nothing that will ever be able to to fix the every single problem. But there's options. What what is more efficient? What is more efficient? What is going to actually be effective during a street fight when you are dealing with a combative suspect? So with with that said, you know, um, changing some things, I wanted it to be an eye-opening experience for starting at the recruit level. So the recruits going through the academy, I want them, if they don't have any knowledge or any foundation on the ground, I want them to, to be exposed to it, obviously in a safe manner, but I want them to realize how... Uh, important it is you know and and i as an instructor i will jump in there with them so uh, a lot of instructors are kind of like they'll they'll teach they'll show them but they don't really go hands-on i'm the exact opposite i will jump in there with them and i'll, I'll roll with them i'll go if they're we have an odd man out cool man let's go let's work technique and um there's been times where like when we do live i make them do a live rolling uh scenario uh specific training um, even if it's like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, but the idea is that they're still, uh, in this position that they've never been in before. Yeah. And so when I roll with them there, sometimes it's an eye opening experience cause they're like, well, how, how did he do that? Like, how did he use his legs to strangle me? Or it how seems did so he, counter, he to took my gun logical. away, you know? Yeah. He took my gun away or like, you know, how, how's this, how's he able to control me? I'm 230 pounds and I'm, and I'm jacked and you know, Deputy Gomez is controlling me on the ground and I can't do anything, you know? So I, I show them how important technique is as well. Now, I, I don't know it all. I By no means do I know it all. But one of my goals is, is also sharing it, is sharing uh, jujitsu and trying to just inspire and motivate, like I said, people to train. So that that's that was key for me. That was, yeah. it was very important for me, yes. So uh, we're pretty much at the end of our of our time here today. So is yeah. there anything you want to close out with? Is there anything that you want to one last, like knockout punch to people listening or the, and, or if you want to talk about sharing jujitsu, um, how, yeah. how, how you're doing that and how you're planning to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, one of the things that I plan on doing is, uh, sharing jujitsu, uh, through starting off uh, with social media. We're starting off kind of small right now. I'm, I'm still kind of building it up, but, uh, right now on Instagram, uh, if you check out Blue Line Grappling, um, you can find a page that I just started. And what it's going to introduce is techniques, uh, different jujitsu videos, training methodologies, maybe different workouts that are geared towards um, grappling in law enforcement. And in this, I'll have different instructors. We'll be going over different techniques, different you know uh, mindsets when it comes to training, uh, you know different workouts that you know can relate uh, to to specific training. So, um, it's going to be cool. I'm excited. I have a lot of good stuff, uh, planned for that. So if you check out blue line grappling, that would be awesome. And, um, and as for training, like I, I'm open to training with anyone. I've thrown this out there before, you know, the people that know me, Hey, I'm, I'm here for you guys. I'll, I'll rearrange my schedule. I'll come in on the weekend. I'm, I'm here to help you to, to keep you training. You know, I mean, I know life happens. There's excuses, whether it's time, money, this or that, 
you know, hey, I'm, I'm whether you want to roll for an hour or go over some stuff. I'm, hey, I'm a resource. You know, I'm pick my brain. Uh, I don't know it all, but I'll 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 pick other people's brains and, and get their you know experience in as well. But it's going to be a collaborative effort, especially with this page. But I'm I'm excited for it. I think uh, I'm planning some big things with it because I want people to realize how important it is. Yeah. When it comes to uh, grappling and especially jujitsu in law enforcement, I want I want to keep my my brothers and sisters safe. Yeah. There was a there was a situation with a friend of mine. Um, he he works for the state and he was attacked at a hospital. He it, it had nothing to do with the person that he, he was booking. You know, he was like a, uh, a, a mental patient. A, just someone that was in the waiting room attacked him while he was just standing there doing something else, and he was disarmed because that was hospital policy. He's not a jujitsu guy, so I think this type of discussion and maybe that one experience with him there's probably hundreds, if not thousands, of officers in that same position. Oh, absolutely. So the biggest challenge is actually stepping onto the mat. That's the biggest challenge is finally taking that step. I'm going to check out the school and, and, and getting there and stepping onto the mat. Yeah. You know, with a lot of things that we'll be showing, we'll be demoing techniques, you know, little one, two-minute videos um, on the different techniques, you know. But I'm obviously, I'm not going to be a representative of my, my agency, nor am I telling you that this is all agency approved? So definitely check with your agency's, you know, uh, use of force policy. But uh, a lot of the things that we go over are how to control people. And also in case you're in a fight for your life, what, what you can do, what are effective yeah. techniques. Yeah. yeah. Important. Well, uh, we thank you, Angelos, for yeah. being here. Thank, thanks for uh, coming Man. on. Thank you guys so much. Thank this was this was awesome. This we was could, a, a great experience. Yeah, thanks we could for have sharing been another your hour easily. Yeah, but um, next that's time. just not how it works. <laughs> next yeah, time. there's there's always a next time. Part two. Yeah, for sure. And uh, Mike, do you got anything? Thanks for listening to the Start Today podcast. You can follow us on social media at starttodaypodcast.com on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Also, check us out on the web at letsgocast.com. Also, check us out on YouTube. We really need subscribers and. I'm going to deal with the lack of content. Like people are going to go try and find us on YouTube and it's going to be rough. They're like, why would I subscribe to there's nothing on there? It's, it's something with YouTube. So I'm going to have to start figuring out a way for us to um, attract more viewers on YouTube. But please go to YouTube. We need 100 subscribers. And we thank you for listening. And please go check out Blue Line Grappling as well. And thank you very much. Take care.